So last week we started with the trumpets and we did the first four trumpets. And I want to do a quick review of those four trumpets. And I want to start by reminding you that trumpets proclaim. That's, that's the idea. You blow a trumpet, you're proclaiming something. You might be calling to attention. You, you might be making an announcement, but you're proclaiming something. So we want to ask the question with each trumpet that's blown, what is God proclaiming? So in super fast review, let's look at these four trumpets. So trumpet number one, and remember this was hail uh, sprinkling the earth with blood and, and fire, and the result was one-third of the earth, one-third of the trees, and 100% of the green grass all burned up. So this was a worldwide event, and, and this took place. That's the result. We, we say it in 30 seconds, but don't think it was that quick. It, it would be a devastating type of hailstorm with blood and fire. But in this trumpet, God proclaims power over the land. He proclaims power over the land. Trumpet number two, remember it said something like a mountain was thrown into the sea, and one-third of the sea turned to blood, one-third of the sea creatures died, and one-third of the ships were destroyed. And remember that it doesn't say that the sea turned to something like blood, it says the sea turned to blood. This is not something that we question, this is a statement that's made, so we believe it because God said it. And so in this trumpet, God proclaims his power over the oceans. So he's proclaimed his, land, his power over the land, now the oceans. Trumpet number three, which remember said a great star fell from heaven, its name was Wormwood. And we imagine that as it entered the atmosphere, it broke into thousands, if not millions of pieces, and it spread out over the whole earth. And the result of this star coming down was a third of the fresh water becoming bitter. That's in rivers, streams, lakes, wells, whatever. A third of the water becomes bitter, and many die from drinking it. And God proclaims his power over fresh water. And then trumpet number four, this didn't have that, that cause and effect. This was simply a miracle that took place. And so God did this. And when trumpet number four blew, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of the day, and a third of the night all went dark. Don't know what that looks like. Don't know what mechanism causes that. We, we, we really can't fathom, but in doing this, God proclaims his power over the skies. So God has proclaimed his power over the land, over the ocean, over fresh water, and over the skies. Continuing on in your notes, God has proclaimed that any created thing that man has ever worshipped is powerless. It was powerless to stop him. So sometimes someone may have worshipped the moon, they may have worshipped the sun, they may have worshipped the ocean, they may have depended on um, the commerce from the waters, the fish, all these different things. And God has declared them powerless. Now this is not the first time this has ever happened. You remember back when the Egyptians, um, the plagues were happening with the Egyptians, God spoke to them and, and really defeated every one of their gods. If you take a list of the gods from Exodus and you compare them to Revelation, you see the same thing happening. The gods are being defeated one by one. Second thing in your notes, God has proclaimed his power and authority over 
every aspect of nature and creation. So God has proclaimed his sovereignty. He's proclaimed that he is God. Remember the Bible says that all creation is held together by God and he has the liberty to do with it as he pleases. And this is what he's done. And this was to get attention, to proclaim who he was and what was happening. Now I want to read Revelation chapter 9. We're going to read it, then we're going to talk about it, then we're going to read it again. And after we read it the first time, you'll understand why we need to talk about it, and then why we're going to read it again. So let's read Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. It says, The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or, or any plant of the tree, or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them but only to torture them for a few months. And the agony they suffered was like, like that of a, string of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like a crown of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as a king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon, that is the destroyer. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. So now you're wondering why I have to explain that. It's so simple. Everybody understands completely what's happening. We should probably just close in prayer and move on. <laughs> well, we are going to pray. You all are very observant. You know something's going on over there. And so we're just going to pray for that, and then we'll continue on with the sermon. Father God, I pray that... Whatever's happening in there is not too serious. We thank you for the individuals in our congregation who are well-equipped and fully capable of caring for an individual in need. Pray that you would help them to, to do the correct things, to make the right decisions. I pray that you would resolve the situation. We leave it in your hands. We ask that your will be done. And um, we trust you. In your son's name, amen. So let's go back to our notes. Let's go back to our notes. We're going to do some defining. I think if we define some terms, we'll be able to understand what's happening in this passage a lot more. So we're just going to define some things. In verse 1, you see the phrase, star that had fallen. Okay, the star that had fallen. And it says, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. And this is one of those passages. You've got to slow down. You've got to read every word. I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. And we might, we might be tempted to think back to the star wormwood that fell and, and caused all the fresh water to turn bitter, or a third of it. 
And we might think that's the same kind of star, but this is not that same kind of star. We need to read it. I saw a star that had fallen. So a star that had already or previously fallen. When we think about the word star, obviously it can mean the bright, sparkly thing in the sky, but that's not what it means here. We use the word star in a lot of different ways. We have a baseball star, a football star, a musical star, a movie star. We have the, the, the Hollywood rock of stars. And, and, and that's kind of where we need to think here. And we need to think, what would the Bible use the word star for? Where has it been in the past? Well, we have the morning star. That's a description of Satan before he fell. Um, he was one of the highest angels. He was an archangel. He was in charge of the worship, we think. And, and he, he, was, he was lifted up. He was lofty. A lot, of, a lot of the angelic activity went through him. And he was a star among the angels, if you want to say it like that. But it says, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. And so, in your notes, this star that had fallen is a fallen angel or a demon, probably Satan himself. The only reason I say probably is because he's not actually named but we can be fairly certain, like 99.6% sure, this is Satan. Okay? Then it says, the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. So it makes perfect sense. It's someone. They're given something. So Satan is given a key to the shaft of the abyss. So what is the abyss? Well, the abyss, by definition, is a shaft, a long cave, or a pit, and what is it in our context? It's one of those things where fallen angels have been imprisoned. Where fallen angels have been imprisoned. And you might say to yourself, oh, back off, what are we talking about? Fallen angels being imprisoned. I don't remember that. Well, let me refresh your memory. I'm going to turn to these passages. I'm going to read a bit to you. You can just listen. Jude 6 there's only one chapter in Jude. This is Jude, verse 6. This is what it says. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these have been kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Now, it doesn't say the word abyss, and it doesn't say the word pit, but it fits. That's our first clue. There were angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. Most people think that means they, they went beyond what they were given permission to do. They went beyond what they, what they were supposed to do. And God obviously saw this, and God punished them. And so they were bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So that's our first clue. Let's look at the second clue. 1 Peter three eighteen through 20. Just says 18 in your notes, but I'm read 18 through 20. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body, excuse me, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, listen, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. So here are 
angels who are imprisoned, okay? So it doesn't say abyss, doesn't say pit, but they are imprisoned. So here's another clue. Now let's go to Luke 8.31. The context here is Jesus encountering the, the demon whose name is Legion, which means a lot of demons inside one person. And Legion says to Jesus, let me read the verse. I'll, I'll just read uh, verse 30. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Verse 31. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. Now we have the word. Some, some of your translations will say pit. He, they begged him not to order them into the abyss. So we take these clues and some others, and we look at the scripture, and we see the abyss is a place where angels have been held captive. Now, n demons are, are, are mainly just loose. They're, they're out free to do what they do. But there are lines they're not supposed to cross, and when they cross one of those lines, they can be put in this place. And apparently there's lots of angels that cross the line and have been put in this place, and it is the abyss. So that's the abyss. Where it's at, we don't know. Um, it's seemingly somewhere on earth, which is kind of weird to think of, because it says when the door was opened, smoke came out and darkened the sky. So somewhere on earth. There is an interesting place over in uh, Asia called the, gates of, the Gate of Hell, where the people believe that the demons came and went. Who knows what's there or not there, but there is a place called the abyss. So maybe you learn something new there. There's a place called the abyss where imprisoned demons are being held. Number three, the locusts. The locusts are really interesting, but goes in that word there is demons. Okay? Demons previously held captive in the abyss. So these locusts, if you read it carefully, it doesn't say, and something like a locust. It says, and when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a giant furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke, locusts came down. Now, John knew what a locust looked like. So, we can kind of figure it's, it's a locust. It wasn't like a locust. It was a locust. But it's a very strange locust like we've never seen before. And I put some pictures in your notes. But those are tiny and hard to see, so we're going to show them on the screen. So, Sue, go ahead and put that first slide up. This is an a, a artist rendition. Just kind of do the second one. The second one's easier to see. Notice it has these characteristics. The, the, a woman's hair, a man's face, a crown, teeth like a lion, a scorpion's tail. Go ahead and show the next one, the third one. And now show the fourth one, the helicopter. Draw an X through the helicopter in your notes. It is absolutely not that, although I have heard that preached. That John didn't know what a helicopter was. And when the helicopter flew in his vision, he said, this must be a locust. And then they labeled all the parts that he saw. And so this is the helicopter right here that is the locust. Draw an X through that on your notes, because that's not true. That's a, that's a misreading of the text. It is a locust. Now, it's a demon, 
in the form of a locust. And then all these other things make sense because of what demons might look like. So that's what the locust is. It's simply demons. These are fallen angels that have been kept in the prison called the abyss for thousands of years, some of them. We don't know how long all of them were, but some of them way back in the time of Genesis held in the abyss thousands of years, and, and they're let out to do what they do. Number four in your notes, the people who have the seal of God. Who are the people who have the seal of God? It's interesting now that we're entering into a time when certain things happen to one group but not another. So one group is spared while another group is not spared. And we want to ask the question, who are these people? Well, you might revert back to a chapter ago when we talked about the 144,000 Jewish people who were sealed. The 144,000 full-blooded Jewish people who will enter into the thousand-year reign of Christ. And yes, they are included, but no, they are not specifically these people. I'll give you the blanks, then we'll look at those scriptures. Uh, the people who have the seal of God, it's any believer alive at the time. Any believer alive at the time. We go back in Scripture, other places, we look for clues. Does God ever call a believer someone who's sealed? Does God ever put a seal on believers? In 2 Timothy 2.19, it says that we're sealed with the inscription, the Lord knows who are His. There's a seal. It says you're sealed. And it says what the seal says on it. Revelation 3.12, something we studied recently, it says, the one who is victorious, in other words, the believer, I will write on them the name of my God. So I write on them the name of God, that's their seal. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says, Now it is God who set the seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts. It is God who set the seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts. Every believer, you are sealed. You have God's name written on you. You have a mark, an identification that God, an angel, maybe a demon, looks at you in that spiritual, that spiritual realm, and they know you belong to God. And God has put that on you. That might make you a target at some point in time. That might make you left alone at other points in time. But God puts his seal on you. And, and the beauty of that is when God puts his seal and when God says, you belong to me, I would like to see somebody erase that seal. I'd like to see someone try to peel off something God has placed. That's part of the assurance of our salvation. God says, you are mine. You belong to me. My name is written on you. You're, my seal is upon you. And he says a lot of things that say you can't be taken away. And that's part of it. So every believer of all time has the seal, but most believers are gone, remember, because of the rapture. So every believer who's still alive that was saved during the tribulation is included in this. So in, in, in this trumpet, we have a separation of believers and non-believers. The believers do not have to endure the sting of the scorpion, demons. Unbelievers do. Okay? Number five, last definition, the angel of the abyss. The angel of the abyss, it says his name is Abaddon and Apollyon, which means the destroyer. 
Well, those aren't names used for Satan anywhere else, and Satan is doing something else. He opened the door, and, and this seems to be the leader of the ones that came out. So who is this? Well, that's simply it. He's either the demon who commanded the demonic forces living in the abyss, or Satan himself. It doesn't seem to be Satan, although we can't rule that out 100%. But it seems to be the commander. So the angel of the abyss is simply the highest ranking angel or demon in the abyss who's released. Okay? Now you may have noticed I skipped the exciting part. I skipped the description of the locusts. Because now we have the word like introduced. Everything we've talked about so far has been fact, 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 fact. Not for your imagination, but fact. They are locusts. There is an abyss. There is a key. There is an angel who's in charge. There is a sting. It does last for five months. All these things are facts. Fact, fact, fact. Now in verse 7, which is, this is not in your notes, but in verse 7, we're introduced to the word like, and listen for it. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. Doesn't mean they have four legs like a horse. That's not what they look like. They look like they're prepared for battle. Okay, a horse has a regalia that it wears when it's prepared for battle. So it looks like a horse prepared for battle. On their heads, they wear something like crowns of gold. And their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of, mighty, of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers. Notice there's no like there. They had tails with stingers like scorpions. Okay, what did the tail look like? It looked like a scorpion. And in their tails, they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as their king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name is, we read that. So the description, a lot of times we can get real excited about this description and we can dream up what these things look like. I showed you four pictures. There were dozens upon dozens of different pictures. I showed you the three that I thought looked decent and one that was absolutely horrible. And, and we can spend all our time on there, but that's not the point. The point is, in what does a nasty demon look like? We're not supposed to be able to identify a nasty demon when we see one. The point is that God released them, and they're going to do something. So, let me read this again. Read it with that stuff in mind. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star, Satan, that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star, Satan, was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, the prison for demons, when he opened the prison, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth, demons came down on the earth, and were given power. Don't miss that, given power. They were given power. By who? Did Satan give them the power? No. God gave them the power. That's important. God gave them the power. They were told, by who? By God. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, probably because these things were needed in the 
millennial kingdom still to come, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Why would it only be the people who did not have the seal? Why would only the unsaved people be susceptible to these scorpions? It's not because God's getting even with them. That might be our first reaction. It's not because God's going to get you now. It's because God is still trying to get their attention. There are still people who have not aligned themselves with the Antichrist, but they have also not aligned themselves with Christ. And the sting comes, and the sting hopefully will get their attention. That's the point here, to get their attention. And over the next five months, verse 5, they were not allowed to kill them, but only torture them for five months. In the next five months, probably the majority of the remainder of the tribulation, we're talking six, seven months tops here left, to get their attention so they will turn to God. So they'll maybe read about this, or someone can tell them about this, or they can say, wow, okay, God's serious. So the agony they suffered was like the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Why is death eluding them? To give them another chance. Why is death eluding others? So they can't run and hide anymore. Because they made their decision. Now they got to stick with it. They align themselves with the Antichrist. They have the mark of the beast. They are serving Satan. And God's not going to let them out right now. They're, they're, they're going to go through this. They're going to they're be basically the example of what God's people are going to receive and what the people who are against him are going to receive. So this is what's going on. We just read what the locusts look like. We'll skip ahead from there. It says they had the power to torment people for five months. Verse 11, they had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek Apollyon, which is the destroyer. Why do we need to know his name? Because his name is the destroyer. What are they bent on doing? Destroy. Satan has always been about destruction. He tells lies about you. He tells lies to you. He tells lies to the world because he wants you to believe the lie because his lies lead down a road to destruction. His lies lead to suicide. His lies lead to mistrust. His lies lead to self-doubt. His lies cause you to doubt God and his promises. His lies tell you the Bible can't be true. His lies tell you that God doesn't exist. And when Satan lies, we need to fight that with the truth. Life is worth living. God does love you. You do have value. God has a plan for your life. You have areas you can serve in. You have value. You have things to contribute. Eternity is for you. The promises of Scripture are true. You are in God's family. The truth will overcome the lie. Satan's all about lies. He's all about destruction. And when these demons are let go, they have been in there for a thousand years or more waiting to do what they long to do, which is destroy, and they go out and they destroy. Why did God limit them and say, you can't kill anyone? Because they would have killed everyone. And that's not what God wanted. He wanted time. So back to your notes. What is the proclamation of the fifth trumpet? Well, one, God has the power to control and govern his enemy. He gave the key to Satan to open the pit. He told them 
what they were limited, and he said they couldn't kill anybody. He gave them the power to sting, but he wouldn't let them kill anybody. He was in control of his enemy. Number two, Satan and his demons, even though mankind is presently serving them, the majority of mankind is fully on board with the government of the Antichrist and everything that's going on. Satan is their hero if they know who he is. So Satan and his demons, even though mankind is presently serving them, are so bent on death and destruction that they will attack their own followers when given the chance. God opened the door, they went for it. They attacked their followers all over the earth. And I just say that because you need to know that's exactly what Satan's doing now. He is attacking anyone and everyone he can. He'll even attack those that belong to him because he doesn't really care. Number three, God's mercy is ever-present even in this darkest portion of the tribulation. This is the darkest part we've, we've read about. How do we know his mercy is ever-present? Because the scorpion's sting did not kill. A scorpion's sting today can kill a small child. And it, it, it's apparently very excruciatingly painful. I hope never to experience that. But these stings do not kill. That's God's mercy. He's saying, I'm going to give you five, I'm going to give you five more months. In five months, though, understand it's, it's going to start getting worse. This is the first woe. What are we supposed to do with this information? Number one, understand and believe that God's justice is not overcome by his love and mercy. This is one of Satan's lies. Satan's lie is that God is love. What? Satan's lie is that God is love? Well, it's said like this. You know God is love, right? Oh, yeah, God is love. Well, God loves you so much, he would never punish you. He would never let you go to hell. He won't let your friends and family go to hell, so you don't have to talk to them. After all, that's embarrassing, and it could cause some tension in the relationship, so you don't need to do that. And you know what? God is so loving that he'll forgive anything, so you don't need to worry about your behavior or your motives. You don't have to really be all that concerned about what the Bible says, because when you get there, a loving God will let everybody into heaven. Matter of fact, a loving God couldn't send anyone to hell, so there's no hell. When you read about hell in the Bible, that was just a tactic to get people's attention and scare everybody because God is love. Well, that's a lie from Satan because he's not telling the truth. God is love. He is also just, okay? And his justice is not canceled by his love, and his love is not canceled by his justice Mercy is there, grace is there, but they don't cancel each other out. They're all together. And in his justice, he sent Jesus to the cross to die and suffer for you. In other words, somebody paid the price for your sin. And somebody paid the full price for your sin. In the end, it will either be Jesus who paid the price and you benefit from his payment, or it will be you who pay the price and you will suffer in your payment. There's only two choices. And we don't eliminate the part of God we don't like in order to focus on the part we do like. That's a lie of Satan. Number two, we need to understand that God will bring life as we know it to an end. That may sound bad, but that's actually good news. Life as we know it will come to an end. There will be a point not too far in the future as we study this, these passages, not very far into the future, just a matter of months, there will be a time where 
Christ will come, he will set up his throne in Jerusalem, and he will rule the world from Jerusalem, and every single person alive will be a believer who was saved during the tribulation. And we will begin a new era, a new kingdom, for a thousand years, where that's the start. Now, humans, we're going to mess it all up. It's still to come. We'll talk about that. But it's going to start there. Everything will be new. Then, a thousand years later, we're told there's a new heaven and a new earth because the old heavens and the old earth has been destroyed. And on the new heaven and the new earth, it will be all believers worshiping, serving, working for God as he intended us to serve from the very beginning. There will be no sin. There will be no temptation. There will be no sorrow. There will be no death. There will be no tears. And it will be something like we cannot fathom and we will be in this kingdom. So even at that, as we know it, it will end and it will be better. So there's better to come and then there's the best to come after that. So number three, we believe also that the thousand-year reign of Christ, eternity, the new heaven and the new earth are also a reality yet to come. All these things we're reading about are reality most of them still to come. But we look back and we see God fulfilling his other promises and other prophecies being fulfilled, and we see no reason why what's still to come won't be fulfilled. Number four, this is in particularly for those who haven't put their faith in Christ as their Savior. Number four, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and salvation from the wrath to come, followed by eternal punishment for sin in hell. The response, if you're not saved, if your sins have not been forgiven, the response is to say, you know what, God? I hear you. I believe in you. I believe the things you're talking about. I've heard that you died on the cross for my sins, and you know what? I believe that too. I'm a sinner. I'm going to be one of those people that winds up with hell in hell unless I receive forgiveness. And so I bow my head and I close my eyes and I have a conversation with God and I say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I admit that. I believe you died on the cross so I could have forgiveness of my sins. I accept that gift and I will live my life for you. Be my Lord and Savior. Take charge. And God says, yes. He says, I've been waiting to forgive you. I do forgive you. And then the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and our attitudes change, and our lives change, and five, ten years from now, we stand up and say, you guys don't even know what I was like, because I've changed so much. And we have a Christian testimony. If you have not done that, I would encourage you to do that. I'm not going to do it for you today. You've heard it enough times. Have a conversation with God in the front seat of your car, in your recliner, in your living room. In the bathroom, where you can close the door and have a private moment. Have a conversation with God and say to him, I'm ready. I'm ready for my sins to be forgiven. I'm ready for my new life to begin. I'm ready to let you be in charge. I accept your forgiveness. Be my Lord and Savior. Have that conversation with God. And then here's my, my challenge beyond that. Let me know. Let the person who brought you to church know. Let someone who's been praying for you know, send an email, a text message, smoke signals, although I can't read them. Do something to let, let us know, because we want to rejoice. We're not going to send you a tax bill or anything. We're just going to rejoice with you. So let somebody know. 
Let's close. Father, thank you for our time today. It's been, it's been a bit of a distractive morning. A lot of things going on. But it's also been a morning where the Holy Spirit is among us and is working in our hearts and minds. And it may be the very message that someone needed to hear this morning. I pray that would be the case. I pray that these things that you've shown us would be an encouragement because it just highlights who you are, what you're all about, also lets us know what you're going to do. I pray that you would help us to live the life we need to live so that as many people as possible can be raptured on that great day and not have to be in the tribulation. And I pray that during that tribulation that, that millions will be saved. I believe that's what the scripture teaches, so we pray for that. And we give you honor and we give you glory. Change our lives as you deem it appropriate. Let us follow wholeheartedly. In your name I pray. Amen.